I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included, all while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. Hey, Ken, did you know that gold is the only currency that's held its value since the dawn of money? Well, I did. Thanks to our friends at Legacy Precious Metals, the most trusted name in gold investing. Investing in gold protects you against inflation and gives you a hedge against stock market volatility. Don't leave your retirement to chance. Call Legacy Precious Metals today at 866-691-2173. Or download your free investor's guide now at buylegacygold.com. That's buylegacygold.com. Your challenge, if you choose to accept it, is this. Let's go! Let's go! Show up on day one. Work out with us for 30 minutes. Feel good right away. Yo! Repeat five days a week for three weeks. Three weeks? Five workouts a week. We're a body, and we call that a body block. You pick the block, and you're going to love the experience. On week four, this part is really important. Take the week off. Seriously, we mean it. Rest. Go on vacation. Or try something new. Maybe some yoga. Notice you're not holding on to any tension here. Or a dance class. Get sexy with it, daddy. You do you. And then start again. Be committed to this process. Choose a new body block each month. Get a new challenge each month. Have fun every day. Avoid burnout. You're not going to quit on yourself today. This is how you reach your goals. You win? There is nothing that we can't do if we work together. Sign up for your first body block today. Visit body.com for a free trial. That's B-O-D-I dot com. Are you ready to get started? Ken is off today, but I'm here. Deborah's here. Hello. So welcome. We are going to have Rick Caruso on at uh, 5 o'clock. He's running for mayor in Los Angeles. You've probably seen, seen a few hundred of his ads. Uh, Rick's coming on at 5, and um, there's a lot of coverage of him today in the uh, in the various papers. What I've always been fascinated by, and I've seen this o- over the years, whenever there's a California story that pops nationally, uh, you know, it could be anything from uh, illegal immigration years ago to uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger and the recall and on and on. There, there's occasionally some stories which 
like anthropologists, journalists from other cities and national media outlets come here to try to examine what is going on. And it's almost always amusing because uh, they come in with a whole load of biases on what they think California is about. A lot of really wrong information often. Uh, they, have a, they have a deadline, so they got to work quickly. And then they write stuff that is just, uh, just occasionally just nonsense. Um, and, 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 and the thing is, uh, you know, at times because they don't spend a lot of time here, they only know what they see in a, snor- uh, in a short snapshot. Um, the headline in the Washington Post, they did quite a long story there, anthropologist, reporter, uh, Scott Wilson. Uh, in Los Angeles, public anger drives an identity-focused mayor's race. I don't know what that means. We've been covering this mayor's race now uh, probably for a year. Identity-focused mayor's race. What I see is there's two main issues. A lot of issues, two big ones. One is the homelessness and the other is the crime. I don't know how that impacts on anybody's identity. I assume, you know, this is the usual obsession with uh, race, ethnicity, gender, and whatever else that these uh, weirdos obsess on. But um, there's nothing There's nothing about identity here. It's about uh, a colossal problem where everyday life is just terrible for a lot of people because of the homelessness and the crime. And it didn't used to be that way even five years ago. Even under Garcetti five years ago, it wasn't this way. Uh, But now it is, and uh, a lot of it has to do with the policies of uh, the government and various officials. And you can point to the mayor and the city council and the county board of supervisors. Um, We have one guy, one guy in the whole county, Sheriff Inueva, who's fighting against the tide. And he has uh, some successes, but geez. This is not has to have to do with anybody's identity, but that that's the now. By the way, if you wanted to find out about the mayor's race in Los Angeles, and you're living back east and reading the Washington Post, you see an identity-focused mayor's race. What does he make? What does that make you think? That we're out here arguing about race? No, normal people aren't doing that. Maybe journalists do that. Um, but right, let me get let me get to the meat of this. Um, this is a troubled city. Unsettled, with much of its grievance directed towards the Democrats who run it. There's plenty to be mad about. Close to 50,000 people do not have permanent housing, with a likely majority living outside on a regular basis. I like that term, permanent housing. Uh, The Los Angeles Police Department is confronting both a rise in gun violence and a deepening contempt among liberal activists over responses to civil rights demonstrations. I like how they put both of those on the same level. Gun violence, which is affecting normal people, and those liberal activists who are just so angry. Like, what matters more here? Does it matter more that that people are getting shot, robbed, burglarized, chased? Does that matter more? Or that liberal activists are angry? Um, Then there's the up-all-night worry that even with a place to live and a good job, Angelinos find it increasingly hard to secure a financial handhold here. Uh, 
handhold. I think the term is foothold. Wrong body part. Rents rise quickly. The housing market is exorbitant. And in a city of endless highways and long commutes, gas now costs more than $6 a gallon. Uh, well, that, that's uh, even even all the worst of the politicians in this city and county. Uh, that's not their fault. Um, people have been voting with their feet in an unhappy exodus. Census uh, numbers show that L.A. County saw more people leave in the first year of the pandemic than any county in the nation. Do you know that? It makes sense, though, doesn't it? This county lost more people than any other, any other county. And now... This mayor's campaign is providing a vivid x-ray of a famous, a famously sunny city founded on pioneer optimism, made wary by recent history and wallowing in uncertainty. Uh, the results could suggest the potential trajectory for establishment Democrats elsewhere. That's one, two, three, four, five paragraphs to nowhere. Why don't, doesn't anybody publish that we have a mayor and a city council who refused for five years to pass or enforce a single law that would rid the sidewalks, parks, and other public spaces of illegal homeless encampments. That we did not have this widespread problem just five years ago. It was kind of confined to Skid Row and a few other places. But it became mainstream. It became everywhere. Because I remember uh, the 2017 mayor's race and... I don't remember homelessness even coming up. I don't remember even discussing it on the air until after 2017. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just stunned that, because no one's going to wade through all this flowery poetry um, about uh, this famously sunny city and pioneer optimism, blah, blah, blah. And it goes into Caruso and how, how rich he is. And it goes into Karen Bass and, you know, how earnest she is as a congresswoman and a uh, lifetime politician here. Um, then, it, then it goes to this panel of experts, and it's the same names that all the media outlets use. I, they, they, um, they talk to Fernando Guerrera, Founding director of the Center for the Study of Los Angeles. There's a center to study Los Angeles at Loyola Marymount. And this guy says, we're the most pessimistic we've been in the last decade. Hmm. As recently as 2015, two-thirds of Angelinos thought the city was headed in the right direction. Today, the figure is 42%. I read this to a friend of mine this morning. He goes, there's 42% who think it's going in the right direction? Who are those people? Had the same reaction. And... He says it's uh, Angelinos are anxious, concerned in a way they have not been before. It's overwhelming. And polling and focus groups show homelessness is the chief concern. You need polling and focus groups to tell you that? Drive around the city for five minutes. And I realize how dense everyone is, how dense the politicians are, how dense these academic experts are, the journalists it's like, well, uh, can you give me some uh, data, some uh, polling results? Uh, can you give me some focus groups? Uh, give me drive around. You have you have homeless encampments in residential neighborhoods, in front of schools, in public parks. Nobody wants that. Nobody does, and we have it by the tens of thousands. Um, and they they quote Miguel Santana. 
He used to work for uh, the city and now is in some foundation. I don't see this as ideological. I don't see it as one party over another. Bingo. That's the whole point. This is not a, this is not a Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative thing. It's that you don't want filthy, dangerous, crazy homeless encampments in your neighborhoods. That's what it is. And nobody wants this. And so they're getting attracted to the candidate, Rick Caruso, who makes it clear this is his number one priority, along with the crime. I don't know how he's going to do on Thursday. I know he and Bass will be in the top two. But um, it's clear that that's the issue. And this thing just metastasized right under the noses of the current leaders who did nothing but encourage this sort of thing. And I, I, I don't think you have to do a sociological anthropological study to figure out why. It's self-evident that nobody wants this insanity in their residential neighborhoods. Take a break. We'll talk more when we come back. John and Ken, just to continue for a few more minutes on this uh, Washington Post story. They've discovered Los Angeles, the mayor's race, Rick Caruso versus Karen Bass. And they're scratching their beards, uh, stroking their beards. I don't know what they're scratching. And it's like, I don't, I, I mean, Los Angeles is progressive. And, and they're thinking about electing a billionaire businessman. What, what's, what's going on? The world is off its axis. And, of course, if you drive around, you know, I'd, I'd spend a week driving around. Go to every section of the city. Look at what's going on at the police stations, especially in certain parts of town. You tell me if this has been a successful progressive experiment here. This, this would be my uh, big campaign pitch. It's like, do you like what you see? Then vote for more of it. Happy with having uh, tens of thousands of people living and dying in the streets? All the psychotic mental illness, all the drug addiction, the heroin, the needles, the feces. You like it? You know who to vote for. And what's funny is in this story, and there's another story from the New York Times, maybe I'll get to later. I don't want to spend the whole show reading this crap, but uh, there's this snarky attitude because Rick Caruso is successful. And people go to the Grove, Grove by the tens of millions, and they like it. And the Grove is clean. And it's inviting. It's fun. And they keep accusing him of creating this false world, this fake paradise. And he wants to turn L.A. into the Grove. He is, here, in fact, here's a quote. Manuel Pastor, a distinguished professor of sociology and American studies at USC. A distinguished professor. I mean, is that, is that the opinion of the writer or has he actually got that title? Distinguished, I don't know. He is promising, essentially, that the world can be just like the Grove and that we can sanitize our streets from homelessness. Most towns in Southern California don't have this. In fact, the towns that are embedded inside Los Angeles don't have this. You go to Beverly Hills, there are next to no homeless people in the streets because Beverly Hills doesn't put up with it. Culver City, the same way. West Hollywood is largely free. So you have these islands of sanity, even much of Santa Monica. Certain, uh, certain sections of Santa Monica, you can't find a homeless person. 
because people and the city just doesn't put up with it. Now, certain sections of Santa Monica are a disgusting hellhole. But it's funny, whatever the reason is, some areas stay clear. And some areas are allowed to rot. It's just that in L.A. City, they've allowed the homeless infestation to go almost everywhere. Um, I don't know. If I walk into the Grove, I feel perfectly safe. I know they don't put up with um, aberrant behavior there, whether it's homelessness, crime, or, you know, any, any, any kind of insanity. Yeah, I want a city like that. There's plenty of cities like that. There's a number of cities that vie for safest city in America. Here in Southern California, you hear about cities like Thousand Oaks, like Irvine. They're always on the list of safest cities. Yeah, that's where that's that, I like the, I like the sound of that. I like the sound of clean sidewalks and uh, clean parks. Take the kids. Let the kids go on their own. Not worry about it. What? That's bad. I'm sinful. I have to repent. Um. Pastor says again, distinguished professor Carissa has clearly tapped into something <laughs> because nobody wants to live like this. Nobody. Nobody wants to live like this except the homeless themselves, some of them. Then they go to another expert. These experts kill me. Theo Henderson, black with a capital B, and homeless himself. Oh, look at this. An expert is homeless himself. And get this. An activist in residence at the UCLA Luskin School. Now, I'm reading this, and it says Theo Henderson is homeless himself and an activist in residence. And what I want to know, because, you know, I'm a peasant. I don't know these terms. What the hell is an activist in residence? Does that mean he has a home? Right? What does residence mean? Residence mean means home. You have an address. At least an apartment. So how can he be homeless and be an activist in residence? Or do they have residences for homeless activists? So does he actually live on the street or in a tent? Or does he got a little room at UCLA? And... He also has something called, uh, he, he's got a podcast called We the Unhoused. We the Unhoused. Is it, it sounds like a nation, doesn't it? Does he speak for all these people? And he's quoted in this story? And he calls the Caruso candidacy a form of, get this term, white saviorism. What? Why does Caruso's color matter? White saviorism. That's nuts. Nobody wants to live like this. People in black neighborhoods don't want to see this. In Latino neighborhoods, mixed neighborhoods, white neighborhoods, you name it. Most normal people, especially if you're raising families, don't want to see this. They don't want it. I, I don't understand. And then he starts babbling about Trump. I... Then they talk to Christian Arana, vice president of policy at the Latino Community Foundation. You notice they don't talk to normal residents here? It's people with foundations. Uh, it's university professors. It's the activist in residence, the homeless activist in residence. But uh, they talk to her. She apparently has normal people in her family, though, this uh, Christian Arana. Hey, sorry, he's a guy. His father delivers carpets. His mother works in a call center. Both Democrats, neither has ever voted for a Republican, but both are worried about themselves in the city. 
They're undecided, but leaning towards Caruso. <gasps> what? <laughs> the closest this writer gets to normal people is talking to the daughter of normal people, and he's a little bit startled that they're leaning towards Caruso because they don't want to live like this. But if you decide you're going to talk to the activist in residence, yes, of course, this is a bad idea. Or talk to the professor, excuse me, distinguished professor of sociology, and he'll be critical. Try to get near a guy who delivers carpets or somebody who works in a call center and they're going, wow, you know, this place is getting really foul. Somebody's got to clean it up. It's the normal people, the normal people against them. The elites, the people with strange titles, the people with these strange titles who sit in offices, often we pay for the offices, and they think, and they think how terrible it is that those unwashed peasants out there will not tolerate all the urine and the feces and the needles and the crime and the crazy people. How dare we? All right, more coming up. We come up. In fact, we got uh, more on that Uvalde shooting at the school. There's more information about the police chief and his performance. And it uh, is going to startle you. John and Ken, KFI. And we're going to have Rick Crusoe on at uh, 5 o'clock today. Ken is away. Uh, the New York Times has uh, an investigative piece today on the elementary school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, at uh, Robb Elementary School. And it turns out it is true, this, uh, this little detail came out yesterday, that the chief of police, um, Pete Arredondo, for the school district, did not have a police radio with him. So he had trouble connecting with police dispatchers who were getting the 911 calls from the kids inside. Remember the story of the girl who called in repeatedly saying, hey, there's eight or nine people still alive in here. And um, he never got the message because he didn't have a police radio. Now, this story um, just broke and was updated. Uh, well, actually, it was updated just minutes ago. And among the new things that I didn't know was that the Uvalde School District had its own police department, and they had jurisdiction over the school, but, but like primary jurisdiction, which means they were in charge of the response. Now, the thing is, it's only a six-person force. By the end of this ruckus, there were 140 law enforcement people there, 140. But there's only six from the school district, and, and the school district police force was in charge. So, you know, when you're hired, when you're hired to run a six-person police force, I just probably think you're not the, you're not a Hall of Fame candidate, uh, in the uh, National Police Hall of Fame, right? You're just a local guy. It's like, all right, here's here's six people, you know, just drive around the schools all day. 
So it's clear that this police chief didn't have the experience, and I don't think he had the smarts to handle a situation like this, but he was in charge because the larger forces that eventually showed up, the city of Uvalde, the county, uh, the Border Patrol, um, they might have had more people and more experience, maybe more brains, but they didn't have the jurisdiction like he did. And he was fumbling around um, with, with a cell phone, calling a police landline. And he's the one who ordered his police to back off. Don't breach is what they were told. Um, because the gunman had an AR-15, but he's contained. So we need more firepower. We need the building surrounded. The thing is, nobody, nobody would do that breach for quite a while. There were, there were 14 agencies that sent officers, 14 of them. Nobody went into the classrooms, even though the gunfire continued sporadically. Nobody from the 14 agencies went into the classrooms after the 9-11 calls began arriving from the children. So the children, multiple children, are making multiple calls to the police dispatcher. They have 140 officers from 14 agencies, and nobody went in there. This is just not to be believed. This story gets more bizarre every day. So a 10-year-old named Chloe Torres calls at 1210. This is 37 minutes after the shooting started, 37 minutes, and says... There, are, there is a lot of bodies. I don't want to die. My teacher is dead. My teacher is dead. Please send help. Send help for my teacher. She is, sto- she is shot but still alive. Obviously, you know, she was, she was rattled. Um, so she said the teacher's dead, but now she's alive. She stayed on the phone for 17 minutes, Chloe did. 11 minutes into the call, you could hear the sound of gunfire. At 12.10, when Chloe called, it was still 40 minutes before the police would, would barge into the classroom. The officers who finally got there were able to get a janitor's key. They weren't even a formal tactical unit. They were Border Patrol and ICE agents and a sheriff's deputy. They made up their own group. Because they showed up in the hallway outside the classroom and said there appeared to be no chain of command. 140 law enforcement from 14 agencies, and they said nobody seemed to be in charge. Least of all the bumbling fool Arredondo. So these five created their own unit. They were done waiting for permission. So they finally moved towards the classroom. And they kept going even after one of them heard a command in their earpiece that said, do not breach. So even after, even after like an hour and 15 minutes, you finally had five out of the 140 who said, well, enough of this. There was still somebody going, no, 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 no. We don't want to go in there yet. Like what? Not enough children have been shot to death yet? I... I 
They had local cops, state cops, federal agency officers, state troopers, sheriff's deputies, constables, game wardens. It was like uh, a convention. It was like a Texas law enforcement convention. They all were in uniform. They all had their guns. They all had decades worth of training. And they all stood there for an hour and 15 minutes until these five guys from, from three different agencies, Border Patrol, ICE, and a sheriff's deputy, on their own, finally decided, we're going in. And even then, somebody was getting yelled at in the earpiece not to do it. Um, I, I just, it, this, this is just impossible to believe. Like my, my, my brain is just not accepting that this actually went on. Can you imagine having 140 people outside your home or business? There's, there's shooting going on. There's dead bodies everywhere. And all 140 decide not to move for over an hour. Ah, ah. It's, uh, there's, and there's some terrible stories here about the kids getting shot. There's like first person. Uh, saying, I, I don't want to read it because it's, it's just too hideous and depressing. But you ought to you'd go to the New York Times and uh, read it on your own. More coming up. Johnny Ken Show. This is kind of funny to play. <laughs> you know, the, uh, the formula shortage, which isn't funny. Uh, the, the, actually, there's a lot, of, a lot of families that are freaking out because they can't get formula. Uh, I don't know what it's like here in Southern California, but some some states are reporting 90% shortages for formula. And, uh, yeah, I mentioned this the other day. Until, until now, I had no idea that if you don't have formula and you're not breastfeeding anymore, uh, baby's out of luck. There's no, there's no substitute, unless there's some kind of vegan substitute I'm not aware of. No. Well, yes, there's, there's, well, when my kid was on formula, it was soy. Yeah. So that's, that's vegan. Why, why are you shaking your head, Eric? It is vegan. What does a baby need to be vegan for? It's not, okay. I have to, (laughs) I don't want to take up too much of your (laughs) time. It wasn't, here's the deal. You never know where we're going to derail here. Yes. This was our pediatrician told us to put my son on this soy formula because his father was allergic to dairy oh that's different and it was so, a medical right. reason well, I, that, well john asked me unless there's vegan ones and i just explained it but it wasn't because i was trying my kids aren't vegan i never made them vegan although my daughter my daughter kind even of even though you tried now. you pumped in this vegan juice yeah, into your it, son early it, on it was it you was were trying to like purposes. rewire his brain no, to become vegan no that's not true fake news <laughs> always spreading that <laughs> fake news john uh well the um Anyway, if you haven't heard, the, the FDA, uh, some, there was a whistleblower at Abbott Laboratories in Michigan, and they called the FDA and said, you know, there, there's something funky about our production here. A few babies got very ill. I believe two of them died, a total of four victims. And so, obviously, they had to do something, and they decided to shut down the plant, and it's been shut ever since, which may have been a, a wild overreaction. But the thing was, the FDA didn't take any action for a while, and they didn't tell old Joe, uh, for quite a while after that. And the whole thing is just a complete failure on the part of these government workers. This is Jake Tapper on CNN. He's talking to the White House director of the National Economic Council. 
Brian Deese, another guy with a long title and does nothing productive. So Tapper is telling Deese, going through the timeline, when suddenly the camera that's on Deese collapses. So uh, I don't know if Deese kicked the uh, camera legs out from under the camera or what. But here, play this clip. I don't need the FDA to investigate itself to come to the judgment that they did not act quickly enough. And, and on behalf of all the frustrated moms and dads and guardians out there, uh, I hope you don't either. Well, look, th these are really serious safety judgments, and you're absolutely right that people are, are right to uh, be frustrated and concerned. But when the FDA goes to a facility and conducts an investigation, that has to be done thoroughly and in their best scientific judgment. And so I think it is appropriate that they look at that timeline and, and understand uh, what, what happened in that context. But I also think that we need to, we need to take very seriously that, oh, 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 whoa, 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 guys. Our camera <laughs> fell down. Okay. Brian Dees, thank you so much. There you go. So somebody realized this interview was going south, and they just uh, kicked the camera over. Which is... <laughs> uh, the thing is, uh, what Tapper said is, I don't fully understand why you didn't tell the president until April if the problem was reported to the FDA last fall. The FDA didn't check it out until December. They shut down the factory in February. Biden doesn't hear about it till April. Now, Abbott Laboratories uh, provides a huge percentage of the uh, formula in America. There's only a few companies that do this. And I, I mean, they get the call and you had to take action. I mean, the, the call actually came in the fall, but it took two months for the FDA to investigate. And then two more months before they shut the factory down. And then two more months after that until they told Joe Biden, by now you have the factory closed for about four months and Biden doesn't know. I uh, just, uh, and now, and now, now, you know, it's just all hell is breaking loose. And they claim they're going to start up factory production in a couple of weeks but it's only going to be a certain kind of formula, and it's not the one that's most widely needed because they have regular formulas and they have specialty formulas, and maybe they make that weird vegan juice that Deborah Force fed on her kids. But um, that's going to be part of your permanent record. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and, there's, and there's a reason behind it. I stand by my reasoning. <laughs> um, so then the, uh, then, the, then the camera collapsed. And that was the end of that, that interview. They are trying to fly in formula from overseas, from Europe and everywhere else. But, I, you know, what I wondered is somebody called the FDA and said, hey, we've got, we've got production problems here. It could be deadly. And it turns out it was deadly in two cases. Now, it's, the thing is, if you work in a government operation and this is your job, your job is to make sure food production goes smoothly without killing people and you have a, a whistleblower somebody within the factory letting you know it's like hey we got a problem here and then you actually have you know a record of look at these babies that have been harmed why don't you take action immediately and why don't you look it up and say wow abbott laboratories is responsible for x percent here if we close the factory there's going to be a real shortage of formula and there aren't there aren't alternatives for most people. 
I mean, unless you still are breastfeeding. Now, that all can be figured out in about a day, don't you think? That you have a problem, you may have to shut it down, you don't have an alternative. And then nobody tells the president that the nation's babies, and there's about 4 million babies a year who are born. So you potentially 4 million babies uh, are going to be without formula. And I find it fascinating that how many government workers were involved here, and of course we don't know their names, and nobody's going to get fired, and nobody's going to be forced to explain themselves. But they sent out some, some dumb clock economic advisor to talk to Jake Tapper, who you know clearly is on, on the defensive and has to take the bullet for every other incompetent boob in the government. But what do these people do all day? I, I don't know how many times a day I have that, I have that question whenever news stories pop up like this. And I thought, well, what do they do all day? What goes on in most offices? Sometimes I look at tall office buildings. I go, what's going on there today? Is anybody working? Is anybody doing the right thing? Is n- nobody, nobody cares? Just, just taking up space? And then you've got... Uh, then you got the control freaks back um, because there's some uh, minor increase in, in this virus spread. And, of course, this virus. I mean, I, I know quite a few people who have gotten this version of the virus. And it's, you know, a pain in the ass for what? Eric, you had it. What, a week? Yeah, I mean, it was, like, symptomatic, like, three and a half days. Three and, and a half that, days. And then I just kept testing positive at further. No, nothing, nothing scary, though. No, just, I felt like a cold plus a fever for yeah. a couple days. Okay. You know, but, but millions of people get anyway, even if this didn't exist. It, yeah, it didn't feel anything out of the ordinary. Well, now in Alameda County, in Alameda County up in Northern California, has always been one of the nuttiest. They have now imposed the dreaded indoor mask rule. Offices, stores, theaters, conference centers, restaurants and bars when you're not eating and drinking. You're supposed to pull it down, put it back up, pull it down, put it back up. you got to wear it in public transportation, including taxis and Uber rides. You have to do it at the uh, Oakland Airport. There has to be signs all over the place communicating the mask requirement. You have to make efforts to ensure compliance. You have to put your obedience mask on, and you will comply. Um, they're not going to bother the kids in school because school's almost over, and they don't want that fight. Get this. In Alameda County, you don't have to wear a mask while working alone in a closed room. <laughs> You don't have to wear a mask while you swim. <laughs> uh, just uh. Oh, and this is helpful. Children younger than two must not mask because of the risk of suffocation. I hadn't even thought of that. Barbara Ferrer has poked her head out of her burrow and said if things keep going in this direction, maybe they, by the end of the month, indoor masks in L.A. County. And I'm tell, is there any way to remove this woman from office? Is, could, is there any way to remove everybody from office? This is maybe one of the most annoying periods in history to be alive. 
More coming up. Uh, there's polling out on uh, Gavin Newsom and and other uh, elections uh, statewide. Also, we're going to have Rick Caruso on at 5 o'clock. So, uh, oh, and two rounds of the moist line today as well. Ken's off today. Deborah Mark has the news. KFI AM 640. Hey, Ken, did you know that gold is the only currency that's held its value since the dawn of money? Well, I did. Thanks to our friends at Legacy Precious Metals, the most trusted name in gold investing. Investing in gold protects you against inflation and gives you a hedge against stock market volatility. Don't leave your retirement to chance. Call Legacy Precious Metals today at 866-691-2173. Or download your free investor's guide now at buylegacygold.com. That's buylegacygold.com. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at Viking.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Hey, guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at VisitCalifornia.com.